Welcome, everybody. This is our first podcast um, that we're doing. This is Market Mumble. Um, I'm Frank. The other mumbler will be Taylor. And then we also have Alving moderating as well. Um, we'll be talking about the current market news for the week and everything else that has to do with the market. Taylor? Yeah, uh, I mean, that. I guess that kind of says it. I mean, like we said, this is our first podcast here. So um, we'll kind of just dive into some podcasts. Um, some topics. Uh, I also want to stress that uh, all these stocks, sectors, or markets we talk about are just our opinions and are not any you know recommendations to buy. So, But if you um, make money, feel free to donate some. Yes. We're all open. Yes. I mean, this is Wall Street, Dr. Burry. We're, we <laughs> you know, if you're offering us free money, we're we going to take, take it. it so. We will take it. Yeah. All right. Frank Taylor. So there's a lot of things going on in markets right now with the earnings, volatility, interest rates. So, you know, let's just go ahead and start in with this week. Uh, earnings are great, but the markets are just not doing as well as we thought. It, you know, can you give us some thought about what you think is going on and what's the reason behind that? Yeah, sure. I, I'll start it off, Alvin. So, hang on a second. All right. So, first of all, who are we, right? Because they don't know who we what? are. Oh, yeah, well, that's why I was going right, to start so, it off. Yeah. So, okay. Who are you then? Um, well, I'm um, I'm the bull of our group here. I think uh, I think we have a lot of headwinds, or I'm sorry, tailwinds uh, for our markets currently. But uh, I, I know a certain someone won't won't agree with me on this one. Right. So <laughs> I'm the contrarian of the group. I don't I don't think we're headed straight up. I mean, we've been going up forever well, and ever and ever, and it can't keep going like that. Well, but mean, all right. So we, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. So, you know, Alvin brings up a good point, right? Um, we've had an outstanding quarter here. Um, earnings are growing by roughly 20% for the market this quarter. Uh, revenues are growing roughly about 7%, according to FactSet. Um, but, you know, our markets are still struggling. We're not uh, rallying around earnings as much as we usually do. Uh, we usually see high um, jumps in prices as they report earnings, but then they sell off the next day. But, um, you know, looking at these companies and thinking about um, how markets are priced, I mean, essentially, I, in, my, in my opinion, right, we priced, in, we priced in the good earnings for this quarter um, as investors tend to be forward-looking um, in their investments. So, I mean, you know, we always knew, we knew the tax cuts were coming. We knew, um, we knew that there was going to, the benefits of tax cuts for companies, share buybacks, uh, increased earnings, lower tax expenses. So, you know, I think we priced it in. I, I mean, we saw that the 7% run we've had in January and, you know, we've corrected. We are a much healthier market than we were back then. But, um, you know, I think, I think going forward, we're still going to have strong earnings. I think we're going to have good revenue growth. Um, and I think, you know, this is just a, a quarter where, where the majority of the earnings are priced in. So I know, I know you'll disagree on this one. So. You, what I find interesting is so... I don't think they're just priced in because when they're priced in, sure, maybe the market will move a little bit, but Twitter was up 14% pre-market. And then once the market opened, they were down 7%, which is a 21% swing in a day. That doesn't, that doesn't say they're priced in. That means something else is going on. Right. Yeah. I mean, but all companies aren't priced the same, right? So we, if we look at the expectations for Twitter, we know that Twitter is, is a stock that struggles, um, you know, like Snapchat. Um, it, they struggle to monetize their system. They struggle with user growth. They struggle with, um, you know, really attracting advertisers to the platform. And so when you have a struggling company like that, 
Um, you know, I can kind of compare this to a General Electric too. We've seen how negative the news around GE is. And when they report a halfway decent quarter, you know, the stock rallies four or 5%. Um, so, I mean, you know, the majority of these stocks that are really sensitive to their businesses, you know, you, I mean, they're not all going to react the same, but you know, most of these large, large companies. So um, I'll bring up uh, like a JP Morgan, for example. Um, I know you weren't too hot about the banks. I know Wall Street wasn't too hot about the banks. But if we look at the earnings, you know, JP Morgan, so if you, even if we strip out the, the benefits of the tax cuts, you know, their businesses are still growing by nearly double digits. So, you know, the most of the companies, you know, do have earnings priced in. Some don't, obviously, and are more sensitive to news um, like a Twitter or a Snapchat. So, you know, it's a lot different than comparing a Twitter or Snapchat to established companies like like J.P. Morgan. You know, the thing that's been going on recently has reminded me of a famous saying, buy on the rumor, sell on the news. And that seems to be the theme of this recent earnings season so far, even though it's just gotten started. Right, but in that case, you kind of just have to determine what kind of investor you are. If you're investing, you're not going to be buying on sellers and, and, and news. You're going to be investing. If you're trading, that's the approach you'll take. Right, and the traders are the ones who, who seem to move the markets the most in times like this. I mean, I don't, I don't know what you want to say about that because there's, there's many different ways to trade, but... I mean, ultimately, right? It's not like earnings are a figment of our imagination and and earnings are in decline here. We can see, you know, we look at JP Morgan, their net income and earnings per share dropped by, I think it was almost 40%. So it's not like these, these earnings are just imaginary. They're actually happening in our markets right now and they're actually value for shareholders. Sure, so what about CAT for instance? Because their earnings right from the start were fantastic, one of the best quarters they've ever had. But immediately afterwards, they were down, what, three, four percent? Yeah, so for CAT, that's a different story. So when we look at CAT, they did have an outstanding quarter. Um, but then again, we can kind of go back to the idea of investors being forward-looking, right? So when, when Caterpillar says, that they're having pricing pressures because of increased costs in raw materials, such as steel and aluminum. You know, we can see that's gonna be pressuring margins going forward, which will give cause to concern for some companies, some investors in that company. What about yeah. the interest yeah. rates? Because, yes, yeah, the huge historic market this week with the 10-year hitting 3%. Um, lots of articles have been put out about it and clearly it has affected the earnings season just a little bit, um, to say the least. So. How do you think that has affected all these earnings recently? Well, I mean, if we're looking at what the effect of a 3% interest rate has on our earnings season right now, I think we can kind of say that there's not going to be too much an effect, right? I mean, it's more of a systematic effect on stocks now than firm specific. So, um, yeah, you know, the three or the 10 year did cross 3%. But um, I mean, then again, you know, how many people are, are that? freaked out about a three percent interest rate it's not like we're rising above a five or six percent three percent is still very historically low compared so, to yeah, our standards i don't think it's to do so much with the actual rate that it's at but the pace as to how quick it's going up which is what is scaring most people well yeah i mean the 10-year did take off in january we got all the way up to about three percent almost three percent at the end of january into february but um right it's april 25th and we just crossed above three percent and, um, 
you know, that's, that's, uh, that's almost two months that we've been shopping around that, that level. And now we just crossed 3%. So, I mean, it's not like, not like we're hitting 4% in the next month or so. I mean, with the and, ra- with, with how everything has been going, you, you never know where it's going to be. Um, definitely. I don't think in the next month that it'll hit it, but you never know. Something crazy could happen. Yeah. I mean, something, I mean, uh, even though, I mean, we look at interest rates, right. And, and rising interest rates aren't necessarily a negative for our economy or our stock market. Yes. You do have to discount earnings to a certain extent, but ultimately rising interest rates are, are good. I mean, it's our economy signs that our economy is moving forward quickly signs that uh, the Fed's going to be hiking rates in order to keep up with expansion and control expansion. So, I mean, ultimately, in my view, I mean, obviously, a lot of analysts share this view as well, is that, you know, rising interest rates aren't exactly, you know, like a death cross for our markets. For sure. Um, one, one thing, since we're talking about earnings, there's an interesting chart that was in the journal the other day, which um, Alvin has right now. Um, let's take a look at that. Okay. So, when, when we pull out this chart, it shows... The title of earnings are strong, but rewards are scarce. Shares have slumped more than half of the 69 companies in the S&P 500 that have topped first quarter earnings expectations. Um, and it shows that earnings season is full swing with 17% of the companies in the S&P having reported quarterly results through Friday and the majority of the firms in the index on, on deck over the next two weeks. Um, and it shows a lot of companies who reported positive earnings that beat expectations actually declined. Um, which is pretty interesting. Such, for example, Philip Morris. They beat earnings, but they were down 18% despite the beat in expectations. On the flip side, there were some companies such as Lennar that they did not meet expectations, but they were up about 10% due to, or once earnings were released. So very interesting to see something like this. And, you know, I was listening to Bloomberg earlier, and it's it's they were saying it's not a good thing when, Earnings are good, and people are selling on good news. Um, for the last 10 years, while we were in the weird market that we were in the last 10 years, a lot of people were buying on bad news, um, and everything kept going up and up and up. And now, good news is coming out consistently, but people are consistently selling this earnings season. Okay. So, I mean, no doubt, all right, some of our prices are going down on good earnings, however. Um, but then again, you kind of go... Look, looking. Here's another chart that I have pulled up on my Bloomberg right now. Is it's showing high expectations, and analysts are expected high earnings growth for U.S. companies, which most companies have been meeting or beating those earnings. Yet it shows the S and P going the opposite way, which is going down. Wait, say that again. So the chart I'm looking at on my Bloomberg right now is it shows high expectations from the analysts, which they are high, of course. But it, I mean. Uh, most of the companies so far in this earnings season have beat those expectations, yet the S&P is going the opposite way. And you can see that on the Bloomberg right now. What do you think of that? So you're saying that earnings are going up, but the S&P is, is going down. Correct. That's what you're saying. But Correct. Okay, but with this chart, though, you have to look at, right, our markets just don't look at a single factor, such as earnings. We have other things going on. We have our president... Um, engaging in a trade war with China. We have a president that um, has talked about um, getting rid of the investigation against him. We have 
uh, the threat of a regime change or a political change in Congress. And we have threats of North Korea and the Iran deal. So, you know, there's a lot of other factors that go on in our markets. And we can see that, that um, you know, our earnings are good, right? But earnings seem to get drowned out when we have such negative events as a possible trade war with, you know, the second largest economy. And, you know, it is a headwind, but I think going forward, you know, once we get through this volatile moment, uh, then again, you you kind of got to look at, at the market we were in. So for t- most of 2017, we were a very low volatile market with really good returns, really kind of ignoring the risk to the market. And now we kind of switch to a market where we do have good earnings, but we've switched to more concerning about the headline news rather than earnings. So um, here's just s- some interesting facts. So the I'm I'm reading from an article here on here on Bloomberg that says that um, profits are running 6.9% ahead of estimates, but the stocks aren't being rewarded. On average, they're falling about 1.4% the day after quarterly results. So earnings are going one way up, and the stock price is going the opposite way. Yeah, but again... And not we, just pricing in. It's going the opposite way. Okay, so if we continue with our thesis here of that investors are forward-looking, we ask the question of whether or not maybe we're hitting peak earnings. And since we're forward-looking, we're discounting those earnings going forward. Um, And in 2017, what we did was price in the expectations of the 20% rise in earnings that we're expecting. So, um, you know, being forward-looking investors and pricing in last year, our earnings growth for this year, next year we're pricing in, you know, a flattening yield curve Um, you know, a lot of political worries with the midterm elections, maybe we're discounting earnings and not getting as excited. So, you know, maybe one can say that our, you know, outstanding run may be over, not that we're not going to go anywhere. Maybe we'll just decrease or increase the market less than, than what we have. All right. Let's, let's, let's move forward because I see that this is going back and forth, but uh, very good points that you've made Taylor and Frank you always come up with great research to back up your thesis as well, but not always <laughs> what I want to, I want to move forward because Facebook just got out of this congressional hearing and, you know, about a week and a half ago, what we were looking at Facebook price at 150 back in December, it was about what 195 at the very peak. So, you know, it's, it's, it's up about 11% today, 13%. Can you like, elaborate a little bit about how do you think this, you know, how, how you think Facebook is going to continue moving forward and, you know, how, how you saw this congressional hearing, was it a negative impact for the company or a, a positive one? I think it was, um, no doubt this damages the company's image here. Um, and in full disclosure, I do own a large amount of Facebook. Um, good luck with that, <laughs> especially after the, uh, the fall in the stock price. But, you know, we look at these events and a study came out saying that the majority of um, of users distrusted our social media platforms. And I guess some of that can stem back to um, the, you know, influence on the election, um, if we want to accept that as a theory. But, you know, going forward, I think, yes, it does damage their image. But then again, you know, how many people are actually leaving Facebook? How many people you know, are deleting their accounts, 
and where are they going to go to? If you delete your Facebook, let's, oh, what's the other one? Oh, Instagram. I wonder, oh, Facebook owns Instagram. Oh. So, I mean, their user base, I don't think is going to change much. And if it does, you know, you know, that's great. But, um, you know, in, I mean, what company is going to, is what other company can provide such a targeted approach to advertising as Facebook does? And, and really the, um, the price that Facebook was trading at was just incredible for the valuation that they have with a company with 40% plus revenue growth and, uh, you know, billions in free cash flow. So, you know, I think, you know, when the stock price did fall, I did, you know, buy more shares and, and it's paid off well, but, um, going forward, I think, yeah, Facebook may deserve a lower valuation, but not to the point where it's at right now. Cause at the point where it is now, I mean, you're kind of comparing it to, you know, valuing the same company as a comparable as like a Clorox or a Procter and Gamble. So, um, you know, I think it's very mispriced at this point. And, uh, personally I would be loading off of more shares if I had the ability, but I don't want to expose too much, uh, to my Facebook and technology sector. No, it's, it's very interesting that you bring it up because I, on, to some extent, I do agree with you that it's, it's very interesting how such a huge deal came out from them and yet they're still profiting on their, their current earnings. And you also do bring up a good point about how what else is somebody going to use? Everybody who uses Facebook, if they were to quit Facebook, where would they go? Because Twitter doesn't really offer the same experience. And the only one who kind of does is also Instagram, which, like you said, is owned by Facebook. So there's not too many other platforms out there that offer the same experience and service that Facebook offers. Um, although one thing that is very interesting, as Zuckerberg mentioned during his Congress hearings, is that he, there's going to be a large increase in employees who are going to be working on the service side of reviewing content um, to make the platform you know better or whatever she said but with that with that addition to employees brings a lot of extra expense um, and I'm, I'm interested to see in the next two three quarters of how that's going to affect the bottom line and what investors are going to think of that yeah no doubt that um the increase in their headcount is going to put pressure on their margins, but it's not like we're dealing with the low margin and, and uh, company here. It's not like they're, they've got, you know, five or 6% margin. This is a company that's got wide margins, um, you know, low overhead. So, um, you know, yes, yes, there will be uh, pressures going forward, but um, with the amount of growth that Facebook is, is experiencing, I think it's still a good investment going forward. Um, and, if you look at the and you've watched the congressional hearing, you can kind of see how much, how little our um, the Congress uh, Congress understood about the Facebook's platform. Um, so I think it was asked multiple times how Facebook makes money if they can't sell people's data, and and um, you know that's just blatantly false. Facebook does not sell people's data; they make money through running ads. Um, and then there's always political risk as well. You know, I think one congressman asked. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, what the political affiliations of th their employees were. And obviously, if they asked, they would be breaking laws. So I think, <laughs> I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, our congressional Congress doesn't even understand the business. How can they regulate a business? And even if they do put regulations in, it's just going to be a barrier to entry and it's going to protect Facebook going forward. So I wouldn't be selling Facebook at any point here. I would probably be purchasing more. And I, I bet you at the end of the year, Facebook's going to be pushing $200 a share. 
I might agree with that because with regulation does come a lot of barriers to entry and there's not many social media platforms who have the ability to overcome those, especially, I mean, if you look in the past 10 years, there have been so many companies that have tried to come out and say, Oh, we're the next Facebook and they, they don't stand a chance. And with regulation that would even push them down even lower with even smaller of a chance to even try to compete with uh, Facebook, not even mentioning them to try to compete with Snapchat or Twitter or Instagram and all the other platforms that are out there that are subpar compared to Facebook. I don't think anybody else can compete. And with regulation, that would only hurt those companies even more. Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned Snapchat because, um, you know, Snapchat does seem to be recovering a little bit. And I think it's maybe an interesting investment down the road um, as, you know, I think when they were going public, uh, what was it, about a year or two ago, um, they're all worried about, you know, the majority of, of Snapchat's users are, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old. But, you know, as the company grows and matures, uh, same does their users. So I think it kind of be a growing base that you can build and really target the next, next uh, you know, consumers in this country. So it's, I think it's an interesting investment going forward. They um, were down 7% today. They were down 7% today, but what company doesn't have struggles going forward? I'm not saying it's an investment right now. I'm saying it's a possibility going forward. One investment that I think uh, going forward might be kind of interesting. I haven't looked into it yet, of course, but maybe AT&T. Of course. Because if you look at AT&T, they were not, their earnings were not too great today. They were down about 4.5% aftermarket. Um, and they also have the Time Warner deal on their hands as well, which could definitely hurt them if that doesn't go through or if it does that's a huge expense to them as well um but one thing that i like to bring up when talking about at&t or verizon or some of the other domestic carriers is that the tax cuts are going to benefit them most compared to other companies for example like apple they produce a lot of things domestically and sell a lot domestically but they also have a lot of international sales as well but the tax cuts are going to benefit companies like AT&T or Verizon the most because their whole business platform is domestic only. And I think that would really benefit something like AT&T. And it's, with such the drop that they've had, their dividend percent, their dividend ratio only goes up from here. Um, I didn't hear anything about them cutting dividends. And also with the tax cuts going forward, I think it would benefit greatly. I mean, yeah, that's definitely an interesting investment, obviously. Um, you know, surrounding earnings, the large volatility that surrounds earnings. Um, you know, looking at AT&T, I think it would be a, a, an interesting bet, especially if they are able to complete the merger with Time Warner. Um, I guess, full disclosure, I also own Time Warner. Um, I think the deal will go through. Um, but I think, you know, moving forward, you have to think how, how much of their business is exposed to, I mean, how do you say it? Like, I guess uh, cellular usage to sound intelligent there. Well, yeah, cellular? They're, like, they're like, cellular provider. I mean, yeah, but they offer more services than that. So, sure, I like mean, Direct TV. Exactly. So, I mean, what's what's w- one of the reasons why AT and T is struggling is because of the amount of competition in that sector, especially with I'm sorry, that industry, especially with a, a teen mobile. So, I wouldn't say there's so much competition. I mean, there's there's uh, several big ones: AT and T, Verizon, Sprint, and T Mobile. And there's uh, talks of Sprint and T-Mobile merging, which I think would cause some interest of the DOJ um, because there's four majors. Now, there's a whole lot of others like Cricket and Boost and 
others like that. But a lot of those are owned by the bigger majors who the smaller ones will use the bigger ones cell towers since they don't have the upfront uh, ability to build their own cell towers. Does that make sense? Yeah, but then again, I mean, we can see the massive amount of growth in Time Warner, or I'm sorry, in T-Mobile and, um, you know, the amount of users that they're taking away from the majors, you know, AT&T and Verizon. You know, I think I think there's a lot of competition in that space, just as the airlines, right? We look at the airlines, there's five major airlines, four major airlines, five major airlines, um, you know, American, United, Southwest. For sure, but they're not growth stocks Delta. too. That's that's the other thing to mention too is that what what kind of stock they are because they're not a growth stock. Right, they're not going anywhere. Yep. They're mature if, companies. If you're buying AT and T, to me, I wouldn't buy AT and T to expect them to provide fifty percent return in the next year. So they're they're there to hang on. So you're thinking of AT and T as a, a dividend stock then? Correct. Yeah, because their dividend ratio is going up, and maybe a shorter term also buy because if they're down four and a half percent now, a few months from now they may be up a little bit more. Plus, you got the dividend that came through, so bingo. Yep, I mean, it's got a five point seven percent dividend. It's you know obviously a very high dividend compared to some of its other peers. Um, so I mean, it, it could be an interesting stock moving forward, especially if they are able to get the deal with uh, Time Warner. I think you know AT and T, especially with that dividend, would you know definitely be and interesting. I think that one thing to look at would be still the competition in the cellular space. Yeah, but that's what I love about these kind of things is like the their cash flows are consistent because nobody's not going to pay their phone bill. Everybody's, especially in now, nowadays, everybody's addicted to their phone. So of course they're going to pay their phone bill. So there's consistent cash flows that are coming through. So even with a four and a half percent drop or bad earnings or something like that, the likelihood of them cutting their dividend is very low. And even if let's, let's just say they do, what are they going to cut it to 5% instead of five and a half percent? Oh no, I'm scared now. But what is interesting is with these, with these rising interest rates, what's going to happen once these interest rates start getting near four and a half or five? And then those dividend investors may start looking into treasuries instead because that's a safer investment than AT&T and they're getting the same return. Right. And that's, that's uh, you know, obviously a working of our financial markets here is, is the amount of, you know, movement between the, you know, high dividend stocks, preferred stocks and bonds. So, you know, going forward, obviously, um, you know, if interest, in my opinion, I mean, if it's, if it's raised interest, <laughs> if interest rates, um, you know, bonds start moving towards four or 5%, those would definitely be interesting. Um, but you know, I, that's, that's a few years down the road and depending on where you, you think we are in our, um, in our expansion, um, you kind of have to wait. I think those. we're at the top. Well, you, you think we're at the top. We're definitely near the top. Um, has our yield curve in, inverted? It's get, it's getting that way, but we um, haven't yet. We have reached a a high, at, at more than twenty year high, in corporate profit margins. They're about to hit eleven percent, which has never happened in the last twenty twenty five years. But is and you have to look at the last twenty years. Have we had a synchronized global expansion? Have we had easing historically low interest rates that spur investments? We had skyrocketing consumer confidence. And you, yeah, th those are good points. But once these interest rates start rising, that means investment ability and the cost of an investment starts to go up, the cost of investment, right? which exactly. causes lower margins. Yes, I mean, but it, then again, increases in interest rates is not necessarily a bad thing. It just means our economy is expanding to the point where we need to start to slow it down from overheating. That's true. 
one one thing too you see towards the end of economic expansion is that the financials start doing pretty well and that's what you're starting to see more and more is the financials are performing very well and that is one of the signs that a lot of people look towards once the x expansion is starting to near the top right yeah no doubt about that i mean there's always um you know without sounding like it's always a cut and dry answer i mean there's always i guess cues that kind of uh you know precursor um a, a slowdown or a recession so um you know i think yes there are issues in the market yes we are getting near the end of the ball game here but you know i think i think we still got room to run i mean it's not always a cut and dry answer um, our yield curve is getting close but if you look at the 2008 recession 2007 2008 yield curves inverted and became negative almost almost two years before we hit the full recession so i mean we can always predict and assume but we never know so you never know I mean, we could, especially with this fiscal stimulus we have, um, you know, I mean, I mean, we could have extended our cycle another two, three years with the amount of cuts we've had on our corporate side, corporate investments and expansion. That's true. All right. What do we got next? Frank, so I know you're a big oil guy, you know, coming from Texas. So, you know, oil prices going up from 50 to $70 since last October. How do you, you know, give us a little insight on how you feel where oil is going to take us and you know what's going to happen moving forward yeah you know this has brought a lot of excitement to me because growing up in texas you drive around and you see those little pumpers all over the place that's the technical term those little pumpers all right what would you call them oil rigs no they're not oil rigs the rigs are out in the ocean and there's some rigs on land too but most of the time you don't see rigs laying around I'll show you. I don't know. I found a rig down the street the other day. I just picked it up and put See, it in my pocket. This, <laughs> this, yeah, this is a pump. That's a crude oil pump. You're a crude oil that pump. is a crude oil pump. That is not a rig. So when I say pumpers, that's what I'm talking about. Okay. Sure, they're called pumps, not pumpers, but you know. Okay. What are you going to do? Okay, so okay. like we said, back in October, crude was a crude oil WTI futures were at about $50 a barrel. Currently, they're trading at about sixty-eight thirty-five per barrel, which is a pretty considerable increase, which made me very happy. Um, I was excited to see. But today, crossing on the Bloomberg was an article about oil futures signal a flood of U.S. exports is coming this summer, um, saying soaring output, weak U.S. oil prices to fuel record outflows. Um, and it goes on to talk about how for years... Russia has been one of the largest oil exporters um, in the world, but U.S. is now close, closing in on them and about to exceed and become the world's largest producer. Um, America exported 2.3 million barrels a day of oil last week, the highest on record going back 25 years, according to the EIA. Um, this month, shipments averaged 1.76 million a day and also reported that U.S. crude output jumped to 10.6 million barrels a day. Um, which is pretty interesting. Also, earlier this month, WTI traded at the biggest discount to its global counterpart since January. Signs that the spread will widen further throughout the year will help boost exports as traders may take advantage of cheaper U.S. oil. Um you know, yeah, oil is very interesting, and I will admit uh, when I first started uh, trading oil really took me for a ride. That was uh, um, 
that was uh, late 2015, early 2016, and uh, you know oil really, really fell. I think uh, I think it bottomed out about twenty six dollars a barrel. Um, crazy, crazy lows. Yeah, that's it's, it's pretty crazy. So, you know, I've always had a bad view on oil, but I think I think you know it's a good investment going forward. And you know, I'm taking a look at uh, at my Bloomberg terminal here, and you know, just comparing you know the U.S. dollar to um, to oil, and we can kind of see um, a divergence of two, uh, mostly traded in line for um, you know from just about June till um, till December, but we've really seen a divergence here um, with um, with uh, the dollar falling and oil rising. But the new thing here is is uh, is kind of the the conflicts we've been having in the Middle East. I feel like is causing. Uh, prices of oil to increase in and um you know also if i know and I, you're not a very big fan of this but uh the global synchronized growth if if we are accepting that as a theory then we can say you know oil does have a good run to go if if our economies are expanding yeah so how does how does tell me this because i know the answer how does rising oil prices affect the global economy and the growth that's been going on because yeah i'll let you speak first and then i'll and interlude. well yeah increasing Prices of oil, um, you know, obviously has higher input costs. Uh, it's going to cost more for transportation. It's going to cost more for goods. But then again, that goes into inflation and interest rates. So, again, it's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, oil is a commodity as long as as well as wheat, as well as corn, soybeans. So, you know, in an economy, always you know these these commodities are always increasing as the economies expand. So, I mean, okay, let's take let's take it. Yes, our our commodities are increasing in price, which means inflation, which means that our economies are growing as demand increases for these products. So, you know, it's not like we don't have a way to control it. We use interest rates to control our inflation. Yeah. So, all right. One one other thing I want to bring up because what's how do you profit? off of something like this while oil is going up a lot of companies expenses are going up too but some companies are performing even better um, i'm looking at the baker hughes rig count currently and the current rig count in the u.s is 1013 rigs um, and from the prior year it has gone up 18 percent um, about 156 rigs were added which is pretty considerable um, now when i think of this one of my favorite companies comes to mind, which is High Crush Partners. And there's not many people who have heard of High Crush. And when you think about the oil industry, fracking is one of the biggest things that comes up. And I know it's controversial, but you know, as investors, we find ways to make money. We'll let other people worry about the environment. So with High Crush Partners, they are a frack sand company. So they produce and sell um, solutions and frack sand to um, drilling companies and one of the biggest drivers of that company is the rig count um, because as more rigs come online more frac sand is in demand um, and i think with oil prices rising and more rigs coming online i think that's a huge opportunity within high crush also one of the great things about them too is a lot of times they don't just sell for spot rates they rather sell contracts um, so for certain periods of time they are required to provide a certain amount of sand and that leads to um, future cash flows that are um, you know coming in every single quarter well you know the increases in rig counts you know obviously 
if prices are increasing and recounts are increasing and there's still demand for it, you know, maybe was that signal economic growth? Oh, wow. Interesting how that works out. So, you know, yeah, oil prices will increase. It's the same thing as I said, you know, with commodities increasing in prices. You know, what, what about what about Saudi Aramco? What do you what do you what do you think about that? Because that's definitely an interesting topic that's come up recently too. They haven't had an IPO yet, but they when they do, it's rumored that there will be the most um, they will be the first company globally that will hit one trillion dollar market cap. Well, you don't know what I'm. You don't really know what I'm know my opinion on that one i don't think uh i don't think if i mean they're planning an ipo for what 2020 now so i mean it, i mean it's e- it's been going back and forth yeah so i mean either let's be honest either amazon or apple is going to get the first trillion dollar market cap it's not going to be saudi ramco especially if they wait on it for two more yeah, years so sure. what's what's interesting about saudi ramco i mean give me some leeway on the numbers here but i think in a single quarter they had about 45 billion dollars in cash flows i believe um, did they actually publish that information? I think it's so. not a private company. I don't know. I think that there there was something that I heard about how their their revenues or either cash flows or something like that was almost as much as Apple produces in a whole year, which is mind blowing from an oil company. This guy's got Baker Hughes rig counts as an app on his phone. Definitely, you should download it. It's free. It provides you the rig count and the change per per uh, per week. And you can see a map as well showing where the rigs are that are online and if it's for oil, gas. Definitely an interesting week that we have seen this um, with earnings coming out and stock prices going lower because of that. Buying the rumor, selling the news. Um, also with interest rates hitting the 3% for the 10-year, which is what a three, four-year high. Um, and what the implications are going to be of that is will be... Um, very interesting to see going forward. So, what do you think is going to happen? What, what, what do you What do you have to say? What What's What's What do we need to know? What's going to happen this week, and where are we going from here? Well, I think from here, there's a lot to look forward to this week. You know, we're all worried about three percent interest rates, but you know, you still got to remember, just like when you know we were we were uh, tanking during that correction, you just got to remember the fundamentals of your stocks here. Because, you know, yeah, there's systematic risk out there. We always account for that. But, you know, with earnings supporting, you know, our stock prices, especially after this correction, it's not like we're overly priced on our valuations now. But I think something to look forward to, you know, tomorrow we have Microsoft and Amazon reporting earnings, which is you know going to be bode well for our tech companies, um, as well with, you know, Intel, AbbVie. Um, Altria, Union Pacific, UPS, Starbucks. So there's a lot of earnings this week that I think will um, provide some buoyancy for for stocks this week. Um, we get a couple oil names uh, later in the week, which I think will will definitely affect the Dow. You know, Exxon Mobil is in the Dow is one of our Dow components, um, if my memory serves me right. But um, you know, I think we our earnings will be supported mainly this week. No doubt that there's going to be continued volatility, but I think going forward we still have you know, two, uh, three, four weeks of, you know, solid earnings season here with earnings growing. So um, I think we still have a lot to, to think about. I think, you know, with our interest rates moving up, our yield curve is, you know, still relatively, um, you know, ascending. So um, I don't think there's that, you know, too much to worry about. Yeah, we have a risk of continued trade wars. We have, um, you know, a Russian investigation that's going into its second year. 
um, and you know geopolitical concerns with North Korea and Iran. But you know going forward, like I said, I think earnings will continue to um, be the fundamentals of our stocks. So you know past this earnings season, I think you know we'll still be relatively supported by earnings uh, going forward. And uh, after earnings, we're going to be you know start looking at you know interest rate hikes um, for the federal funds rates going forward. Um, but I don't think, you know, we're going to be piercing our highs that we hit in, in uh, January until, you know, later this summer, probably until we hit, um, you know, third, uh, third quarter or second quarter earnings. Um, but then again, then we introduce the risk of our midterm elections and, you know, a change. All right, so, so let's wrap it up. What, what should everybody do? You think the, do you think the peak's going to be later on this year? What, what should everybody do? What peak earnings or yeah? What what should everybody do? Well, I mean, we're earning is seeing, you know, we we definitely are seeing our peak earnings for for this quarter, no doubt, or for this year, no doubt. Um, we're expecting you know roughly fifteen to twenty percent earnings growth for uh, the majority of the S and P. So we're expecting about you know fifteen to twenty percent earnings growth for you know this year and next year in twenty nineteen. We're looking for. Um, we're looking for, you know, roughly 20. I'm s- All right. So wait, th- let me finish. <laughs> so we're looking at roughly 20% earnings growth for 2019. So it's not like we're, we're declining to negative earnings here or hitting an earnings recession. You know, there's always going to be slowdowns and who knows, you know, maybe, um, you know, emerging markets and in, in Europe will pull us forward. Um, and, you know, not the U.S. being the main driver. So I think still think stocks are a good place to be. Some may be foreign stocks over the U.S. markets, but I still think we're in a good uh, good environment here. All right, so really quick answer. S&P's at 26.39. You think that we're going to peak earnings later on this summer. Where do you think the S&P is going to peak at? Give me a number. Well, I don't think we're going to be peaking here this year, I think. I mean, going forward, I still think we have a good year left, 2019, 2020. But, um, you know, the price target I have on the S&P right now is between 2800 and 2900 I think we're going to finish at, which is roughly a... a By the end of this year? Yes. So roughly a five... I'm sorry, a 7 to 9% gain in the S&P 500. Okay. So back in December, we'll take a look at this and see where we're at. Um, thanks so what's, for... What's uh, your predictions then? We'll leave that for later. Um Thanks for tuning in. This is the first episode of The Market Mumble. Make sure to check us out on Twitter at The Market Mumble. Um, Alvin, let's see. What do you what do you have to say about this week? It's been a it's been a hell of a week. I'm I'm kind of looking forward to the volatility coming in the markets. You know, it's it's definitely pulling away a lot of retail investors, but you know, if you stick to watching how some of these institutional investors you know, stick through the winds and everything like that. I think, you know, you could definitely have, you're going to have a lot of buy opportunities on these corrections and these dips. But S&P, I probably see it somewhere between 27, 28 by the end of the year. So not too much of a gain there. Just a little bit, I think. I don't know. We'll see. What's your we'll prediction see. then? If you're because, all right, you know, there's there's definitely some room for growth because we have corrected for quite a bit of time now. But in the long run of things, I do think that we have been running over things and we're kind of at a peak is my estimation. And I think f- maybe we'll peak again. I don't think we're going to break through our, our previous highs. Personally, I don't think so. 
I think we'll test them, but then go down from there. Thank you for tuning in. Um, again, check us out on Twitter at the market mumble. Um, also please give us your ratings and feedback. We'd love to hear from you all. We'll see you next week. Bye.